Uh, well, good morning. Um, it's been a long time since I've done this. I'm used to only talking for five minutes. I don't know if I can put up with myself for an hour, but we'll, we'll see what we can do here. Uh, bear with me. Um, you know, normally Nick has announcements, but I'm just diving right into it. So uh, quick, I guess, just sort of interlude of where my heart was at with this. Um, so Silicon Valley, this is a really interesting place because people from all over the world, just a couple minutes, I'll get to that, um, come here because they want to advance their career. I mean, this is like the pinnacle of where people come to thrive in their career. They, they come from other parts of the world because they want to just see success. And it's interesting because we just we love these stories of people that come from nothing and become something. Uh, it's sort of the quintessential example of that here in Silicon Valley is Apple. Starting in a garage, nothing, starting to become something. And uh, it, it's interesting because it almost tells a better story when you've got hiccups along the way. Uh, and so in the example of Apple, Steve got kicked out. They didn't do so well. He came back and took it off to be the rocket ship that it is today. I mean, we just thrive on stories like this because it says, persevere through adversity and success and glory awaits you. It's, if I could use business terms, it's always this up and to the right. We just always love a chart that does that. That just means success. You've landed if you can have a chart that goes up and to the right. But that's not always the story of Silicon Valley. Um, another example, um, how many of you remember Netscape? I know, it's kind of dating ourselves. It's usually more of the older folks. <laughs> yes, I used Netscape back in the day. It was the browser of choice. Everyone used Netscape. And then Internet Explorer came along and boom, crash. It was actually a pretty sad story. It, it's the yellow line there. It, it tanked really quick. Um, and it, it's interesting because it, it would have been great if Netscape was able to resurrect themselves and you know come back to be the browser of choice. But no, it doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's gone. Um, and it, it's interesting because these sort of desires of up and to the right, I think that also exists on a personal side. Um, I don't know um, for you guys, but you know, oftentimes you bump into people you haven't seen in a long time, and they always ask you the question of, how are you doing? What's new? And uh, there's this temptation inside to be like, you know what? It's awesome, right? Like my career, I mean, it's really starting to bud. I mean, I'm doing really well in my job. Oh, and by the way, if that wasn't enough, my wife and I were doing awesome too. Uh, we're just, it's the best we've ever been in our relationship. And uh, our kids, oh man, they are thriving academically. Oh, I'm sorry, did I mention how they're doing lacrosse and soccer? I mean, they are really doing well. And uh, you know what? I got on this new diet and this new exercise program. I've lost 10 pounds. I feel the best I have ever felt in my life. Oh, and I'm sorry, uh, can I show you my pictures of my vacation in uh, Fiji? Don't we look glorious and doesn't this look awesome? Like, that's the kind of stuff we want to hear, right? And almost like get a little bit of jealousy going of how awesome we are in our lives. Uh, but we don't want to hear those stories of, you know, my job's not really going anywhere. I kind of feel like I'm in a dead-end job. Um, kids, they're not really doing that well. They actually have some developmental disabilities. Um, I'm actually working so much I've put on 10 pounds. That's not really the story we'll want to tell others of how we're doing. Uh, we, we want those mountaintop experiences of us succeeding and moving up and to the right. So uh, it's actually with that context that I want to dive into the Bible today, because you know what? The story's not always up and to the right. Uh, in fact, uh, we can see that um, th there's actually a very different story uh, that we can learn uh, of Paul's own life. Um, so I'm actually going to be pulling in 
a couple of passages from the Old Testament and New Testament this morning, but uh, primarily we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to have Katie read it so you can come on up. Um, if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, one of our studly ushers will give you one. Uh, if you actually don't have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and make that your own. Um, this is a hard chapter. I, um, I think we've all heard it before, but there's also, I think, um, some hope that comes from it. So I actually want to really dig into the truth of the hardness, but also, uh, given that, enjoy uh, the truth of what God has for us in the midst of it. So, Katie, go ahead and read that. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Good morning, Mercy Hill. Can everybody hear me? Are we good to go? Okay, great. Where I'm from, we say good morning back, so I can smile at you all day, but let's try that one more time. Good morning, Mercy Hill. All right, all right, there we go. Okay, so as Ian said, we are in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18, so we'll kind of start if everybody is there. Um, In my Bible, this is labeled as treasure in, in jars of clay. So, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death of Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, and some versions say therefore, and we always know therefore is therefore a reason. So, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Thank you, Katie. Let's uh, let's pray this morning. Bow your heads with me. Uh, Lord, <laughs> we make ourselves more to be than clay pots. Uh, we, we like to think of ourselves as fine, fine china, uh, crystal, but um, it, it's actually, we're just everyday objects, uh, fragile, unimpressive actually. Uh, in particular because of the glory that you are, of who you are, the treasure that you are. And God, we get that mixed up. We make ourselves to be something more than we are, and we in some ways almost minimize you. So this morning, Lord, be on display. Let us see our insignificance, and particularly because of the light of who you are. God, It's so easy for us to just see what's in front of our nose and miss eternity. And I know my own words are feeble. I know that um, I don't have the words to describe you. And so, God, just as I'm also a feeble, (laughs) nothing, everyday clay pot, 
just be on display today, Lord. Let us all behold you and enjoy your glory. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Uh, so I've taken a look at this. I didn't do anything too creative. I uh, divided this into three parts because uh, it actually very naturally did that, this section. Um, and I somewhat also like Nick, I'm going to be spending the vast majority of my time on the first main point, And then probably because I have too much to say for that first one, we'll go really quickly through the second and third one. Um, so I've broken this up three parts. Uh, first one, what does the Christian life look like? Uh, second one is, okay, well, given that, how am I supposed to do this? And then uh, the last one, what motivates this kind of life? Uh, so let's dive in here, starting chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, this kind of is the main gist. Uh, Paul is saying uh, for us, as well as him, in that uh, this treasure, uh, we have it in jars of clay. Uh, basically, that's a simple way of saying uh, a summary of what he said in verse 6, which is the treasure that is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, uh, other words, the gospel, the hope of the gospel that we have, uh, that treasure is being stored up in us, just jars of clay. In other words, we're just kind of basic, everyday, nothing things. Some people would uh, say that Paul is just referring to uh, the clay pots that would hold uh, the lights, that hold the oil. Um, just things that are broken, things that are easily tossed aside, things that you don't really pay, t- uh, pay much attention to. Um, it, it's, it's funny, I, it's a quick little illustration here. Um, having been a college student, I had lots of hand-me-down pots, uh, and they all were cracked and not very impressive. And when uh, I got married um, with Maria, um, we got uh, Macy's gift card, so we went to town and bought new pots, uh, new uh, dishes. And I was thinking, man, this is awesome. Like These things are going to be pristine and glorious forever. I just had this impression that these things are so beautiful, and they're going to last forever. Uh, but I'm sure the rest of you guys probably know, you use dishes, and what happens? They crack and fall apart. Uh, if you don't want them to fall apart, you don't use them. Uh, and it, it's interesting because you can try to glue them back together, but the reality is, is that dishes are expendable. If they break, you replace them, move on to the next one. And Paul's using a similar analogy that we're, we're not actually that impressive. It's God who's impressive. It's the treasure inside of us. That's why he's saying we're, we have treasure in jars of clay. It's not about us. It's about the treasure we have. Um, and so um, the interesting thing is that he's saying even though we're treasure in, uh, the treasure inside of us uh, is what's important, uh, he's saying uh, that in some miraculous way uh, we don't break, we don't fall apart, even though we face great persecution. And that's what we get into with verses 8 and 9. And I actually want to spend some time on this because whenever I've read this, I always focus on the positive and sort of miss out on really what Paul's saying about what he's going through. And I want to park on it because it, it, it's actually quite jarring what he says we go through in the Christian life. Um, verses 8 through 9 say that we're afflicted in every way. And yes, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, and yes, we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, and yet we're not forsaken. We're struck down, and yet not destroyed. Um, it, you read that, and you think, okay, great, that's awesome. There's a really awesome truth there of uh, hope, and that is true, but I, I want to focus on the hard experiences that we face 
One, because I don't think we really appreciate what the Christian life looks like, and we get surprised when hard things happen. And I also think that if we really appreciate what that truth is, that spiritual reality that Paul is talking about, it would actually make more sense and be more hopeful to us. So I actually want to park here for a while. So bear with me. This is actually going to be the most chunk of the sermon. Um, so I'm going to give an exa- some examples from Acts. I'm going to give some examples uh, from the New Testament and then also a real-world example. So uh, bear with me. There's going to be a couple of examples here as we really park on this idea of what is the external experience of the Christian life that Paul is talking about here in verses 8 through 9. Um, a couple months ago, I was reading Acts and... To be honest, I sort of dove into it after having read the Gospels, and I was like, you know what? I'm really excited about this. You know, people talk about Acts as sort of like the pinnacle of the early church that, I mean, this is when the church got it together, right? I mean, Jesus came. He got resurrected. They have new life. I mean, this is when, like, these guys should be firing all cylinders, right? I mean, if we were to use a modern-day example, uh, Oprah should be calling him saying, tell me about the secret of life, guys. You guys got this nailed. Ellen DeGeneres should be calling them up, dancing with them on the stage, and they could be retelling stories of walking with Jesus on the water. I mean, these guys should really be on the celebrity circuit talking about they have landed in life. But when we dive into Acts, we actually see a very different story. Three quick ones. I'm just going to go quickly through these. Uh, Instead of the disciples being on this story of up and to the right, of just success and advancement, We actually see a different story. We see them going from arrest, persecution, and actually death. It's actually quite sobering. Uh, Acts 3, 1 through uh, 4, 31, uh, we see the disciples healing a beggar, getting arrested, then being held in custody overnight, receiving threats of violence, and then being commanded not to talk about Jesus. It's kind of rough. And what stood out to me that was a bit of a surprise is that if I was them, I'd be like, you know what? It's time to get down and pray to Jesus that this persecution stuff slow down a bit. This is a little intense. I mean, Holy Spirit, don't you know that Jesus was just raised? I mean, we should be like flying in all, in all cylinders here. This should be amazing. But what's interesting is that the believer's response was not prayer for their circumstances to change, their prayer was for boldness to continue to teach about Jesus. It's like, well, okay, well, <laughs> I don't think they quite got it. I mean, they, they seem to be a little confused. Why are they praying for boldness to preach in the face of persecution? So, and as I was reading Acts, I was like, okay, that doesn't quite connect with me. I, I definitely understand praying for circumstances to improve, but what's going on? All right, let's keep going. Second account, uh, Acts 5, 17 uh, through 42. Um, again, they're preaching in the temple, and the high priest this time puts them in public prison out of jealousy. Uh, they again get questioned, beaten, and told not to preach about Jesus. And what do they do this time? Uh, it, I, would, I would actually be thinking about, all right, I think it's time to move on. Uh, I think actually people need to be taught about Jesus over there. I, I think I'm done with this. Uh, Jesus, would you send me away? <laughs> That's what my prayer would be. Uh, their prayer actually was actually quite different. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus' sake. Counted worthy to suffer dishonor. 
okay, like somehow this is like just not penetrating me. This is like bouncing off. Like, what's up with these guys? They seem a little confused. All right, third account, Acts 6, 8 through 760. Uh, this is Stephen. Stephen's again preaching, teaching the good news. Some of the Jews are disputing with him. In fact, they even bring up false witnesses to say that he's doing things that he's not. And uh, long story short, he becomes the first martyr. He gets stoned to death. It's just wild. We're just going from one degree of lowering themselves to another. This is not up and to the right. This is going down. And what was Stephen's response to this? He had the face like that of an angel. And instead of looking for the police to come and protect him, he's praying that his people that are throwing stones at him, that they'd receive mercy from God. Lord, do not hold this sin against them, was his prayer. And it's just, like, for me, like, I just can't connect this when I'm reading this. I mean, you would think that I should probably understand this a little more. I've read this before, but it just really stood out to me, the stark contrast of going down, receiving this intense persecution, and yet here's the disciples responding in ways that just don't make sense to the world. Don't make sense to me. Like, why are you guys doing this? You, you, <laughs> there's something pathologically wrong about you guys. And so I, I sort of pause and I think about this. I'm like, is this just acts? Is this like these guys are like superhuman and there's something weird about them? <laughs> I have to keep going here. So uh, I actually looked a couple other places in the Bible. And you know what? This isn't just them. This is actually jammed throughout the entire Bible. If you look at... Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, it's just, it's there. Uh, let me just read you a couple from the New Testament just to show that um, this is not a one-off. First uh, Peter 2, uh, 21, For to this you have been called, uh, that is suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. Okay. First <laughs> Peter 4, 12 through 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Hmm. Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church. And then James 1, 2-3. Counter all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so this logical conclusion you have to step away from is the normative Christian experience is suffering. And you just, you park there and you just think, whoa, like this, <laughs> what, what have we got ourselves into? I, I think it's time to think about something else. We, we've kind of embarked on the wrong path. Um, and so I'm going to pause on that. I'm just going to let that hang out there for a second. Um, I, I was thinking of uh, an analogy, actually, um, as I was reading this, as I saw Acts. As these guys were going not from one degree of success to another, but from one degree of being lowered to another. Um, and that example was uh, the Grand Canyon. Um, I love hiking. I love getting out in the woods. I love just climbing from mountains. I can show you pictures on my phone and on my uh, computer of just seeing that amazing peak and wanting to scale it. And the Grand Canyon is interesting because the goal is not the top. The goal is actually the bottom. 
and it feels really weird. <laughs> you land at the top in the car, and you're like, all right, we're here, we're done, all right, let's get back in the car. But no, people actually, myself included, my wife included, you spend all day climbing down, and it, it feels weird. It feels almost wrong that you're going down, and that's the goal versus up. And I'd like to actually say, um, I think the Christian life is the same. The goal is to go down, not up. What do I mean by that? Um, I think it's actually summarized well by John the Baptist. Uh, John 3.30, he says, He must increase, that is Jesus, but I must decrease. Um, (laughs) There's all sorts of examples in the Bible, but it's essentially saying, um, I'm giving up my rights to myself. I'm going to love others when it hurts. I'm going to serve my enemy. I'm going to consider others more important than myself. I'm going to lay my life out as a drink offering. And so uh, instead of climbing up the mountain of my self-glory, of realizing myself, I'm actually going to turn around and walk down that mountain. Um, Because in walking down that path of less of me is when I meet Jesus. And that's hard. (laughs) Um, It's a daily challenge of walking down that hill. It actually doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to this world. Um, That's why it it feels strange at Grand Canyon to go down, and that's why the Christian life sometimes feels strange and weird to others. It's because we're actually going the wrong direction, according to the world. Uh, A couple of quick, uh, just parenthetical side comments. Uh, It is true that, yes, sometimes God does give grace, and he will uh, have people like John Piper that do receive worldly acclaim. Yes, that is true. He does do that occasionally. Um, But I will say that for the vast majority of us, probably most of us, if not everyone here in the room, uh, God's experience for us is one of decline, of uh, obscurity and humble service with very little recognition. Uh, I would also say that um, it is true that sometimes God does us, give us the ability to change our circumstances, uh, and when he gives us the power to do that, that's great. Um, but it's all within the heart of serving God and obeying him as being primary versus changing our circumstances as primary. Um, And and I'll explain more why I say that as we get into the why in verse 10 here. And this is actually where the hope is, Um, because it could feel really dark up to this point. You're like, okay, (laughs) if this is what church is about, I'm out of here, because you basically told me this sounds like a lot of suffering, which I just did. Yes, you heard me correctly. Uh, all right, so we need to get into the why. why. Why is this, Paul? Why is this the Christian life? Um, and so he basically says uh, three, oh, well, the same thing, but three different times. So start with verse 10. Paul says uh, that we do these things, um, starting with verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in you, in us, but life in you. And uh, it, it's funny, I, I kind of open it up as far as when I read the Bible. I, I'll be honest, when I, I read that a couple times, like, I don't get it, Paul. Like, <laughs> uh, 
I've always been governed to death so that life manifested. Like, I, I just I don't get this. It, it, you're saying spiritual stuff that just isn't connecting with me. And then verse 12 really hit for me. Death is at work in us, but life in you. Um, it, it's an interesting dichotomy because he's basically saying that my death, my lowering of myself and serving others is necessary so that others see Jesus. The reason I'm a fragile creature and yet I'm not broken is because of the treasure within me. And when others see it, they're like, what is going on? What's what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, What is happening that you're not broken? Same thing with the disciples. When they went through this suffering and they weren't spiritually broken, people ask questions like, how can this be? Like, Normal people don't do that. Normal people fight back. Normal people say... This is mine. This is not okay. And they fight back and say, I need to fight for myself. I need to protect myself. And instead, they respond in grace. They respond in love. They respond in kindness. What gives? (laughs) And it's because we, I, Paul, responds to afflictions in love, in kindness. That's our testimony. That's why people say, I want to know what you have because I can't do that. And so the light shines in the darkness through our afflictions and how we respond to those afflictions. Uh, if I was to go back to the Grand Canyon analogy, I'm going to use this a lot through this sermon because so, it really <laughs> was a, a good theme for me, so bear with me. Um, if I was to say it this way... Um, when Marie and I went there, uh, you know, normally when you go to the Grand Canyon, it, it's actually a really long hike. People pr- prepare for this. We just showed up out of the fly and just like, oh, okay, let's show up. Uh, you're supposed to get, if you're going to go down to the bottom, you're supposed to start at like 6 in the morning. We didn't start till 10. We actually had some rangers stop us and say, oh, are you guys prepared? By the way, FYI, you guys are starting so late, we will physically stop you from going because it's so late in the day. So... In that mindset, if we really wanted to get to the river, we would be hoofing it as fast as we could. We'd want to get to the bottom, whatever it took, get to the bottom, it's going to happen at all costs. Uh, Interestingly enough, on our way down, we ran into an elder gentleman from Malaysia, um, and he also uh, wanted to get to the bottom. It was actually his second time at the Grand Canyon. Uh, He had, the first time, not made it. And this time, he was really excited to see these younger, fit people, and he wanted to join us. And, of course, my immediate thought was, we got to get to the bottom because we're late, too. (laughs) Um, But he literally had a banana and this little teeny bottle of water. And I'm thinking, dude, you're not going to make this. (laughs) Tell you what, I know you want to get there, but forget it. You should head back up. Uh, We actually ended up hanging out with him the day, uh, taking our time with him, making sure that he uh, took care of himself. Uh, Oh, actually, I think there's a picture of him, yes? Uh, There we go, that guy. Yeah, there he is. I was actually still chatting with him on uh, WhatsApp yesterday. Um, If anyone wants to go on a marathon, he's working on one. but it, if I was to look at the analogy of this, um, the motivation of our Christian life isn't just to get to the bottom as fast as we can. That is the temptation. Um, but God actually wants us to, through our journey, because it's actually a long trail, like the Grand Canyon. It's, we're not talking about an hour. <laughs> life is a long journey, so is the Grand Canyon. And he wants us to serve others along this journey. And so 
we run into people that we don't expect, and God wants us to love them, even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if we think we're putting ourselves at risk. Um, and, and yes, you have to be reasonably sensible, but um, by and large, God wants us to serve others as we are on this journey of life together. And if we don't see, uh, going back to what Paul's talking about, if we don't see this treasure inside of us as valuable, I can tell you we will not see why it's important to face the suffering. If the whole point is for people to see that the treasure inside of us is glorious and to proclaim him, I will tell you that it will be much clearer to us get out of the suffering because I'm going to see the suffering as more difficult than the glory that's God. Does that make sense? And so it, I, this gripped me because if my motivation for why I'm suffering is so others see Jesus, if I don't see Jesus as glorious, I don't want to suffer. And uh, so I'm, I'm actually going to make an important interlude here and in why <laughs> this to me was the clincher of why this analogy made a lot of sense to me. Um, even though Paul, I think, has in mind uh, the suffering is actually righteous suffering, that we're just suffering not because of any wrong we do. Um, if we look at the Bible in totality, we actually learn that uh, we also suffer because we're sinners. <laughs> and um, the Grand Canyon analogy really made a lot of sense to me because um, it's not that we start life pure. We have this impression that we're good people. If you talk to others, they say, I'm a good person, I do good things. Um, but that's not true. We're sinful. We're self-seeking. We want our rights over others. And if I was to say it this way, we're well up the path of the mountain of my glory when we start this life. And we trudge through life fighting tooth and nail to get to the top above someone else because that's my goal. I'm going up this mountain to my success. That's what we live for here in this valley. Yeah, sure, I'll be nice to you along the way, but don't you dare get in my way. And so the Christian life isn't that somehow God saves us and takes us off the mountain and puts us somewhere else. What he does is he just says, you know what, you've been pointed at the wrong place. Turn this thing around and start hiking down the hill. That's what becoming saved means. So it doesn't mean that we're no longer sinning, perfect, singing the angels, playing our harp. We're still on that mountain of self. It just means that we're going the other direction now, hiking down the slow, long journey toward Christ in the valley. But that also means that we're going to have moments where we say mean things. Uh, not so savory stuff comes out of our mouth. Uh, we do selfish things. Certainly we do things that put us in a better light or um, things we wouldn't want to share to other believers at church, things that we'd be embarrassed by. Um, and so it's honestly there. It's in that place where we're still on this mountain of self, doing our best to go down the hill, and we realize that we said something not so savory, that we come back to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I need you. Like, I'm obviously still not there yet. I have not arrived. I need you. And that's there where we relearn to love Jesus and really get captured by his love and say, ah, that, this is it. This is why I want others to know about this treasure inside of me is because of what he's still doing today in me. 
And it's like, oh, this is the light of the gospel that the world needs to see. This is a light in the darkness. This is why others need to see it, because I need it too. So, whatever, half hour into this. It'd be really easy to stop here, but I'm not going to, because you know what? I'm a stubborn person, and I read this, and I think, you know what? This feels still like Christian peanut butter. What do I mean by that? (laughs) I love peanut butter. (laughs) I think it goes on everything, but I don't think God's word is just this nice spread that you just sort of put on everything without any specifics. It just sort of just nicely goes on everything and just makes everything taste good. I think there's specifics here that get into our heart that still aren't there yet. I read this, and I just was like, you know what? I don't. I still have questions for you, Paul. If he was there in person, I'd grab him by the shoulders and say, this sounds like nice platitudes. It sounds good, but I, I still i am not satisfied, Paul. Tell me more. So that's where I get into the next two parts of this. Uh, I need to know how I'm supposed to live this way. I don't think I can do it. This sounds too hard. And uh, not just how am I supposed to do this, but... Why? What is my hope? Why am I supposed to do this? Like, I get it's for others, but somehow I'm just, I feel like I'm missing something, Paul. So thankfully, he, can, he goes on. So uh, my questions, if you have the same ones, aren't unanswered. Uh, so that's getting up through verse 12. Uh, we now uh, can keep going here with verse 13. I apologize. I'm one of those guys that doesn't talk very much, so you've probably already heard a week's worth of Ian's talking. <laughs> I'll have to go in the introvert closet for a while. All right, verse 13. um, Paul says, Since we have the same faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Uh, Paul's actually loosely quoting Psalm 116. If he had a bit more time, I would read it. Um, Essentially, this is um, a psalmist who is going through very difficult suffering. Not just stuff that's a little bit tough, you know, he had a bad day, didn't get his food, and he's a little hangry. Uh, He actually has people that violently want to kill him. Very intense stuff, like the folks in Acts felt, the disciples felt. Um, And and he's crying out to God. And uh, in there, there's actually... Quite a few verses, verses 2, 4, 10, 13, 17, where he just is repetitiously calling out to the Lord, asking for help, crying out to him, wanting God to see God move in his life in the midst of that great affliction. And what's also interesting is that he also talks about not just doing that individually himself, but also doing that with the believers, doing that with the congregation. And even in the midst of the suffering, this also blows my mind. <laughs> like He's praising God for something that he knows God will do, but has not yet done. And it's like, okay, I'm struggling with that a little bit, but let me just slowly walk through what this guy did. Because um, I, I think it's easy, I do this, or I'm sure we all have different flavors of this, it's easy during suffering to do pretty much the exact opposite of this, right? Either we can bend inwards, sort of feel sad for ourselves, because honestly, it's hard. I mean, <laughs> let's get real. Suffering is hard. 
Uh, and so we want to isolate ourselves. Uh, that's one option. Another is to get tough and fight. Say, this is not okay. You cannot do this to me. I will resist against the suffering. Um, or we could complain to others. Um, but that's, that's not what the psalmist did. Um, he actually did something different. Uh, he actually recognizes his powerlessness uh, in his prayers to God. He, he knows that he can't change his circumstances. Um, that actually is interesting just in of itself. Um, it, I think it actually takes more power to say we don't have the power than it does to just try to muster ourselves up by the bootstraps and keep pushing on. Um, that's actually a really hard thing for us to do as uh, individual selfish people. Um, but the psalmist does another thing. He cries out to God and asks God to move in his behalf. Um, and he does it because he knows that God's done it in the past for others. Um, I, I said I didn't want to overuse this hiking analogy, but I'm going to. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting because um, it, there's two different things that happen on the trail. One is just sort of circumstantial stuff. You're hiking along, you stub your, ch- your toe on a root or a rock. Yeah, okay, that happens. You know, this, it's part of hiking. It's part of life, you might say. Uh, we can get blisters. We might get muscle cramps. Uh, we could get a little tired. Um, we say all this just because it, it's sort of the normal experience you'd expect. It, it's suffering, but not necessarily that bad. Um, but there's also other times where, I don't know if you've experienced this, but people get a little bit uh, selfish on the trail. They think that they own the trail. They think it's theirs. And so they might kind of push past you in a bit of an aggressive way. Um, I had a new experience uh, the last couple of years that I haven't experienced before, and that's passing horse or mule trains. I don't know if you guys have had that experience on a narrow trail before, but um, they think they own the trail. And they will push you out of the way, quite literally. I had a guy uh, a couple of years ago uh, in Atchechi who didn't even ask permission. He just started plowing through, and he literally had his hand on his gun and was ready to let us know that we were in his way. And it's just like, dude, like, we're on the trail together. Like, chill out. Like, at least let us know. And that happens in real life, doesn't it? People aren't gracious. People do hurtful things to us. People hurt us. And yes, it's expected, but it's also wrong. I think we need to appreciate that there is hurt and not to minimize that. Um, it's easy to say, well, you know, it's, just, you know, it's expected he's in a meal train, whatever. It just it's somehow to minimize it as if it was a scrape when it really, what happened was they knocked us off the trail and we just fell down 30 feet onto the next switchback. Because uh, that happens, right? We do get very badly hurt by people. And it's easy to say, why is that? Why, why is that a necessary experience? Why did Stephen have to get stoned to death? But just, it, it doesn't make sense. It, there's got to be a different way, God. And I think part of the reason, as best as I can understand it, is actually twofold. And um, um, I think that <laughs> that's why this hiking analogy is so helpful to me, is that um, on this trail of life, uh, I don't know, if, have you guys seen any of the Everest movies? They give all these examples of these guys being on the mountain, and you are on the mountain for months, literally months. This isn't like a day hike. 
storms come in, they get disoriented, their loved ones are letting them know that there's you know, trouble ahead. The only way that they can stay connected to home base is a walkie-talkie. And I think part of the Christian life is our walkie-talkie, which is our prayer life with God. And so, yes, it seems like God is distant. Yes, it seems like we just have completely lost our bearings. We don't know which end is up. We don't, we're not encouraged. We don't even know why we're here. But we have this walkie-talkie, and it's called a prayer life with God. And when we do cry out to God, he does talk. may not always be super loud, but he's there on that walkie-talkie. And so now, a major reason that we have hope for living is because of that radio connection that we have with God. And so like the psalmist, like Psalm 116, uh, when we face the snares of death, we can cry out to God, pour out our heart to him, and worship him because we've connected with him. And um, I'd say like the psalmist, um, part of the reason why difficulties are not just expected, but normative, is because they bring us closer to God. And this uh, I've struggled with, and uh, I've gone through plenty of difficulties myself, whether it be miscarriages or difficulties at work. I don't understand why those difficulties are necessary. I mean, I'm sure y'all could give examples of death of loved ones, and just, I don't understand why these things are required, God. They I cannot connect logic of why I should go through this suffering and and know why I'm supposed to do this. He does that. And I think part of the reason is he wants us to get closer to him. I said I'm not going to overuse the hiking analogy, but <laughs> this made a lot of sense to me. Even if I get pushed down the hill and I fall down, and I have quite literally banged my head on the rocks, I'm bloody on the side of the trail, but I'm now 30 feet lower. Praise God, I'm actually 30 feet lower. I mean, I hate to say it, but <laughs> uh, yes, I can look back up the trail and say, what in the world, God? I just fell 30 feet. Or I can just realize I'm actually closer to home base. And when I get on that walkie-talkie, it's actually a clearer connection to God. <laughs> I was hoping I wouldn't cry, but... <laughs> um, I've, work's been hard for me the last couple of years. Um, I've had to work with some really nasty people, and some of you have heard the stories of it, and I don't get why God's got me there. It, it hurts. It hurts a lot. And I don't understand why some days I've, I, I know that I've fallen down the trail, but I also know when I talk to God, He's He's clear. I, I hear His voice, and... I know some of you have been through things like that, and I will say that if I didn't get on that walkie-talkie, I certainly wouldn't be encouraged to continue on. And I would also say that because I'm closer to Jesus, I feel like I hear his voice more clearly. And I know that he's telling me to stay. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why do I have to go through this suffering, God? And he he knows that that's the only reason I, I can stay is because he tells me to stay. He knows that that's where I'm supposed to be. And I know that through my suffering in a dark place 
and responding in love and in kindness to his enemies, that's where the light of the gospel shines. And that's what Paul did. That's, that's what we're commanded to do. Um, so I'm not sure what suffering or difficulties you're going through, but I'd just encourage you that Christ is near to those that are suffering. And even if it feels like you've banged your head on the way down the trail, praise God, you're further down the trail. Um, and I would also say what's really interesting about Psalm 116 is that um, the psalmist doesn't do it alone. The analogy I just gave could sound like we're just <laughs> hanging on for dear life on the side of the trail by ourselves on our walkie-talkie hoping that we'll make it. Um, the psalmist actually, yes, he cries out to God individually, but he also does it with a congregation. He does it with other believers. And through that, they together corporately praise God. How suffering works into praise of God, <laughs> it, it's a divine mystery. But that's what we read in verses 14 through 15. Um, it says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Bring us with you. I, should, I went too fast. That's actually the most important part. Bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake, so that the, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Why does he do this? So a grace extends more and more to more people so that others come into the kingdom. So, um, why do we suffer? Um, it's because we want to know him more so we get closer to him. And then we do that through prayer and communion with the saints. Um, and he does uh, give us strength through that so that we aren't crushed, we're not destroyed. Um, and that's through him. He, he's the one that is the strength to do that. There is no reason why clay earthen vessels should not be broken through adversity like that. There's no reason for Stephen to shine like an angel and to pray for his persecutors. He does it because of the glory of the gospel. Um, it's like, okay, I mean, that actually sounds really encouraging. Um, but I'll admit, I'm still a stubborn person. Uh, I'm not satisfied with that, Paul. Um, I still don't get it. What's in this for me? Like, I see the path you're marking out for me. I see the path of connection with God. I see the path of where this is going. But somehow it's still just not connecting home for me. Why am I doing this? Um, in fact, Paul even goes on. He says, so we do not lose heart. Well, obviously, then the temptation is to lose heart. <laughs> uh, he says, though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay. Yeah, outer self is being wasting away. Hard words. We feel that, don't we? Loved ones die. Go through difficulties. It does feel like, and it is, our outer self wasting away. Um, and our inner self yet, though, also in that is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. <laughs> and um, it, I, I couldn't help but stop myself here because it's like, wait a minute, er, like stop the record. Paul, I don't think you've heard yourself talking here. Our outer self is wasting away, and you're referring to that as light momentary affliction? 
You must be confused, sir. (laughs) Somehow you're putting that Christian peanut butter again over your circumstances. What he's saying is that instead of looking at the hill of ourself and how much we're missing on that, he's saying, look around at the hill that is awaiting you on the other side. And that's the glory of Jesus Christ that we will experience for eternity in heaven. And yes, that's in heaven, but um, he's saying it is beyond all comparison. We just can't fathom it. Like, we will look in eternity and just say, you know what? How in the world did I even waste even five minutes worrying about my hill when I actually see what I have in Jesus Christ? And we don't have words for that. I, I so wish for myself, for us, we could just get a taste of that. And, and sometimes we do, but we get so caught up in now. And Paul is saying, it is light momentary affliction in comparison to what we will experience in glory. And I just, I don't think there's words for it. There is no way to know that. And that's why I actually think there's, I don't even myself have good words for it, but I'm just giving a, little, a couple little teasers here that I think help a little bit. Because um, I paused here at this point with verse 16 and I said, I like the idea of the fact that we have eternal glory awaiting us. That sounds nice. I mean, it sounds like there's something good there, but I'll be honest with you, Paul. I don't think I'm going to make it to that. If I've got an outer self that's wasting away, I'm being persecuted, struck down, crushed, or I'm sorry, afflicted, not crushed, I don't think I can make it to eternal glory if that's what I'm waiting for the rest of my life. And so when you say, Paul, that my inner self is being renewed day by day, I need to know what that is, and that's more important to me, honestly, right now, than my eternal weight of glory, because I'm not going to make it to that if I don't know what that daily inner renewal looks like. And I actually I read through 2 Corinthians all the way through a couple times, and I didn't see it the first time, but he actually says it in chapter 3, what I think that inner renewal looks like. I. Uh, Paul <laughs> talks a lot about the Old Testament and uh, the Jewish believers, and I think that's why I missed it, is I got a little hung up in the Old Testament um, and what the law was. But uh, he actually has something very encouraging to say to us about what our daily life looks like as Christians. So let me start here with chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Since we have such a hope, that is the hope of the gospel. We are very bold, not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. And to this day, they read the old covenant. The same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's so good. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of the glory of the Lord, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's easy to get lost in that. Let me boil it down as simple as I possibly can. Uh, He's basically saying that because we're saved, we actually meet God face to face. Veils removed. 
before we were staring up the mountain of ourself and all we could see was what our future glory looked like. He turns us around and says, you know what? Look behind you, man. There is actually glory that's so much more glorious than you've been experiencing. He unveils and clears our eyes. We actually see him and we behold him face to face. And so when we go through suffering, when we go through persecution, we actually get to meet, like Moses did, into God's presence. Meet with him face to face. Actually experience his glory. Experience the glory that he prepared for us for eternity. Get a taste of what that looks like. We actually get to enjoy his presence. And as Paul says, step by step, through this process of going through suffering, we actually get transformed into his image. Less of me, more of him. We actually start to get away from our sinfulness, our selfishness, us, and move to the eternal radiance of God as we spend time in his presence. How does that make sense? I don't know. I just know that when I go through suffering, I actually call out to God, get into his word, worship with the saints. I actually enter into the presence of God, meet with him face to face. And as he says it here, it's actually through the spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and does something in us that just doesn't make any sense at all. It's that internal treasure inside of us that everyone's like, what? Where did that come from? Like, there is no worldly explanation for why we respond in grace in suffering and persecution like that. And it's because as we meet God, as we come into his presence, as we enjoy him in his glory, his spirit comes on us and does stuff that we just can't explain. And that's the light of the gospel. That's the hope. That's the reason why we persevere. That's why it's better to do that path than keep hiking up that bloody hill of my own glory. So much better than Ian. So much better than Ian. And so, for the world that has never experienced this comfort, they just don't get it. They, they only see our affliction and they just are like, what are you doing? You're an idiot for go <laughs> climbing down that hill. Turn around and go back up, man. You're, you're wasting your time. Uh, but for us, we actually get to experience true freedom. The freedom of the gospel in Jesus Christ and beholding God in glory. Um, and so, that's why we persevere. That's why we patiently endure suffering is because we know that it's better to experience Christ. It's better to experience his presence. Okay, you've been patient with me. I'm wrapping this up. Where does all this go? I really think that Jesus summarized it really well. Uh, He had one of the experts in the Jewish law come up to him and say, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus doesn't say have a successful career, have a sexy bod that's going to be on the court cover of Sports Illustrated. He says, love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, every facet of your being. And also, love your neighbor as yourself. There isn't a single mention of advancing myself at all. This is not up and to the right. This is actually down as far as me, but that's because as there's less of me, there's more of him. It's actually through a life of suffering uh, where we actually get to know God and we learn to enjoy him through serving others. Um, 
So let me say it this way. Um, the business and media glory of Elon Musk and Steve Jobs is actually quite transient. It's going to burn. And what we have is eternal glory. The world doesn't understand it now, uh, but we'll understand it for eternity. Uh, and our reward today, even though we're experiencing suffering, and it's real suffering, it's hard suffering, it, it actually really brings us to our knees. Our reward for that is intimacy with God and the joy of bringing others with us. So my uh, encouragement for us all, uh, depending on wherever you are on this path uh, of the hill of self, turn, stop going up the mountain of self, you're going the wrong way. Um, and as you are walking down, whether you're doing the gentle walk down and just the daily acts of humbleness, or whether someone kicks you down the hill and you crash down, um, seek God in the midst of that. You'll actually hear his voice. Um, doesn't mean it's always clear, but he will be there. And then, as crazy as it sounds, serve others. Love others. Love your enemy. Serve them. Consider others more important than yourself because Christ did that for you. Nick, why don't you come on up? I'll go ahead and pray. I want you to go ahead and pray with me. Lord God, um, we so easily get turned around on this hill. Oh, Lord, we might start walking down the hill, and then all of a sudden we realize we think we're going the wrong way, and we start hiking back up. And Lord, um, we do get beat up along the way. And um, I don't understand it always, Lord. I don't understand why you do this. Job didn't understand why it was necessary. But we trust that you will do right just like the psalmist did. He knew about your past faithfulness. He knew about your love. And so, God, give us that faith. We want that same faith that the psalmist had, that we can cry out to you and have hope and praise you in the midst of the suffering with the saints and give testament to your love in a world that's perishing.